0: Because that's what we're really doing with meditation—we're releasing resistance. And you know that if you are in the midst of a dark moment of running, there's going to be pain in many different ways. What makes it worse is resisting that pain.
1: That was Rebecca Doring, and this is episode 84 of the Inspired Souls Podcast.
2: Hi, I'm Carolyn, and I'm a road runner. And I'm Kim, and I'm a trail runner. Welcome to our podcast, where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. Rebecca Doring is a 33-year-old married runner who lives in Northwest Connecticut, about a mile away from the Appalachian Trail. She started her mindfulness practice in 2012, and since then has become a certified yoga instructor, a certified meditation teacher, and a personal development coach. She is also a podcaster, producing the Deep Rooted Bliss podcast. Rebecca describes herself as someone who has always been drawn to running, but also as someone who felt she was terrible at it and didn't believe she was a runner for a very long time. Rebecca discovered running during the pandemic, and just when she finally began to identify as a runner, she got covid In this episode, we talk about what it was that shifted her belief system and identity as a runner, how she mindfully returned to running post-COVID, and some meditation tools that she suggests all runners use to enhance their running experience. Rebecca even gives us a special treat of a short guided meditation for runners later on in the show. Listeners of this episode will appreciate how clearly articulate and focused Rebecca is, as well as all the very practical tips she offers runners in ways that they can improve their running through meditation. We encourage you to slow down and enjoy this one. Hey Rebecca, welcome to the Inspired Souls podcast. How are you doing this evening? I'm so good and really happy to be here. Carolyn and I are both really happy to have you here. You are um, one of the first of your kind on the podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're excited to talk to you about all things running and meditation and mindfulness. Before we we get into all of that, why don't you just give our listeners a little bit of background, who
0: you are, where you live, what you do. Sure. Yeah. So I, I'm 33 and I'm married. My husband, Chris, and I live in Connecticut, And we live in the northwest corner, so I live about a mile away from the Appalachian Trail, Mm -hmm. which makes me very happy. We have a cat, and we live in our dream home. It's a log cabin that is just so amazing. I love living where we do. I teach meditation, and I'm a personal development coach. And I help people overcome daily stresses, overthinking, self-doubt, all to allow them to dream bigger, welcome in their desires, live with more freedom, joy, and connection.
1: Yes, please, to all of that. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: that sounds wonderful. Thank you.
1: <laughs> you must get people saying that to you all the time. Like, I would like less self-doubt. I would like more joy. I would like to be fulfilled. Like, how, how, how do you go about teaching this? Like, what led you to doing this kind of work?
0: Uh, well, I mean, it was always, uh, I always wanted to feel better myself. I always had a curiosity about how humans function. And uh there was a lot of chronic illness, a lot of trauma in my family. Like my family had experienced that as a child. So I developed a like a lot of empathy early on. And I just wanted to I just wanted to make people feel better. And I wanted to make myself feel better. And through that journey, it just continued to lead me to where I am now. Okay. Well, I mean, I've heard it
1: put that our karma becomes our dharma or something. Have you ever heard that that saying? Like what we've been through really informs like what we go forth, like especially the challenging things, right? Things that we've struggled yes. with or gone through that have, were tough or challenging end up becoming our life's work or our purpose in, in some way. So it sounds like that may be true for you. One hundred percent. Yeah. So, uh this is a running podcast. Uh, maybe you can let us know, you know, we're always fascinated to hear
0: people's backstories. How did you get into running? Yeah, it's really interesting because I was not a runner in high school. I was very far from it. I I did crew. So, I, I was athletic and I've always been a hiker, but running was something that I was not taught how to do, and we were just forced to run a mile in gym. It was a horrible experience. I was very, very slow, and I got shin splints immediately and just thought that I was a terrible runner who was so slow, like embarrassingly slow, and I carried that with me. But something inside of me was always so curious what it felt like to be a runner, not what it felt like to run as myself, where it hurt a lot and felt so slow and and terrible, but I I would see actual runners, and to me it seemed like there was such a, a freedom and a connection and a and a strength that they felt, and I wanted to know what that felt like. So I was always drawn to it throughout my life, and maybe about ten years ago, I tried the Couch to Five K program, the app, and it was it was amazing. It made me realize that I needed to learn how to run. And it was the first time where I actually felt like I could run longer than, you know, a couple miles and could keep going. But I still identified as a terrible slow runner. It was like, "Oh wow, I just did this thing, but I'm still not a runner." So I just let it pass me by. And then the pandemic happened. And I was feeling the need to move and there wasn't really anything else to do. So I decided to do the Couch to 5K program again. And I started out in my driveway, literally going back and forth to the mailbox and just easing into it. And then I started feeling good and started running more. And I heard a podcast where James Clear, the author of Atomic Habits, was being interviewed. And he said something that changed everything for me he was using an example of when you're developing a habit not just to add in different behaviors but to become the identity so he used the example of running that if you're working on you know running a 5k or something work on becoming a runner not just practicing running and in that moment it made me realize that i I was never allowed myself to go there. I felt like it was a taboo thing. Like I could never be a runner. I would disgrace all other runners if I called myself a runner. That would be like terrible. And it was kind of shocking because I could see that that was the thing that was holding me back from really going into this. And so then by hearing that and feeling that shock, then I allowed myself to maybe imagine like, oh, wait, what would – maybe I'll become a runner. And so that, so I did, and it became a guide to me, and I allowed myself to just act like a runner and put on my running shoes when I felt like it or when I didn't feel like it. And then that enabled me to move through those barriers that always held me back. And, I mean, if you had told that person that I would be here right now talking to you both on this running podcast, she would have been like, oh, no
1: way. Mm. <laughs> Well, I think this is going to resonate very deeply with a lot of people because I know people that have run for years and years and years and still don't identify as a runner, which is kind of what you were saying before. And I think that at the heart of that is, you know, you can cite that mile in gym class and, oh, that was terrible. And I'm not a runner And this huge story that we fabricate around what happens that then follows us for the rest of our life until we intentionally change it. Right. And so I've also heard it put that it's not really what happens to you. It's what we make what happens to us mean. Right. And so I love James Clear. I love Atomic Habits. Like we could nerd out on this all day. But along the lines of that identity piece that he talks about, because a lot of people might be thinking, like, but how? Like, how did you kind of switch from I'm not a runner to I am a runner? And he talks about casting votes like a ma- like a, a little imaginary like ballot box and every time you go out for a run you cast a little tiny vote for the person that you want to become so it's like I just went out for a run so like there's a little vote and again and again and again and at some point there's so many ballots in the box that you mm, I love that. can't turn around and say you're not a runner anymore because there's just too much evidence so is that kind of like I guess talk to us about what maybe some other practical things you did to sort of change that story around your identity
0: yeah well it's it's really interesting because i do teach some similar things in my like to my meditation students because i believe the same thing has to happen in order to become a daily meditation practitioner and it's casting ballots it's casting votes tiny little actions that accumulate to something that then give you the evidence to show you that you can, that you are this thing now. So for me, it was like, as soon as he said that, something clicked like, oh, okay, I got this. I just need to apply these same things to that. But I I love to ask, like to imagine that this identity that I want to become is almost like a little guide sitting on my shoulder that I can ask questions to. So if I wake up one morning and I'm like, oh, like I'm supposed to run today and I don't really feel like it, then I would look at my little guide and say, hmm, well, what what would a runner do? Right. Mm. And then I think, oh, well, a runner would put on their shoes and run anyway. Mm -hmm. And even like in the middle of a run, if I feel, you know, starting to get discomfort and wanting to like quit or wanting to stop or something like that, I'd be like, well, what would a runner do? Oh, well, they would just keep running or they would, or they might stop because it's the right thing for their body because they are runners and that is how they would behave. And they wouldn't make it mean this big whole thing. It's just part of the routine. Mm
2: -hmm. Right. So Mm -hmm. I love to
0: use the identity as a guide. And I think that's really helpful.
2: Wow. Okay. So you eventually continued running and found the trails in a rather interesting way.
0: So tell us how that happened. Sure. Yeah. So when I became a runner, (laughs) when I was running a lot more regularly and was just really enjoying it, I started running longer and wanted more. And I wanted to learn how to run because I also teach yoga and I am fascinated by human anatomy. And so I wanted to learn how to do it. And so I joined a running club so I could learn techniques and drills and all those things. And when I was in this running club, uh, which I'm still a member of, I met another person there who happened to live up near me and she loved to hike and I loved to hike. And she's like, I hike every week. Do you want to come for hike with me? And I was like, sure. And then as we were hiking, I discovered that she had the fastest known time of the Connecticut section of the Appalachian Trail for 2020. And mm. so it's about 56 miles, I think, somewhere around there. And um, I was just wildly fascinated by the idea of a person running that distance in one day. And part of me, like outwardly, I was just so curious, asking tons of questions. And then inwardly, there was some part of me that was like, I want to do that. Like, I want to do that. That sounds so fun. Maybe not fun, but that sounds so intriguing. And so we kept on hiking together and I kept asking questions. And eventually it shifted to her telling me what the training was and then it shifted to her giving me a training, and then it shifted to me doing that training. And so last year, I started doing a training to do a 50-mile race for my first uh, my first year, which I didn't actually do, but I did a lot of the training. And I, the thing I loved about it so much was just that every long run I did, I felt better and was like, wait if I could do that, what else is possible? Mm-hmm. I'm curious to find out. <laughs> like, let's see.
2: It's such a slippery slope, isn't it? So I want to go back to what you just said though, about how outwardly you, you were expressing it one way. Then inwardly you, you wondered if you could do it. When did you decide to let that out? I only ask this because this was exactly me. I observed people doing things when I started ultra running and I was just like, that's so amazing but I could never do that. I'm not an ultra runner. And then at some point I let myself actually express that internal desire. And while well, the rest is history. So <laughs> at what point do you give yourself permission to say, I want to do this training plan. I can do this.
0: You know, I think I actually eased myself into it. I felt crazy to do it. I, I felt crazy my my husband is very um, he's so supportive but he's also very like risk reward oriented so for him he it has my best interests at heart and stuff so I was even like afraid like I can't say it to him he's gonna say that's dangerous <laughs> like I can't talk about that so I, I kind of just tried it on and was like well I like to hike and run and walk anyway so let me just try doing this training And inside it was like, no, I'm working towards this training, but outside it was, or working towards this race, but outside I was really just telling people, yeah, I'm just doing this training. I I kind of faked it.
2: You're incognito. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I
0: think probably my friend Nicole was the one who kept nudging me because she would always catch me saying phrases like, yeah, well, I'm too slow. And she's like, what? No, you're not slow. Why do you think that? And she, w- she helped me kind of undo a lot of those limiting beliefs that were holding me back and got me to the point that helped me believe that, wait, maybe I can do this too. Okay. So I know there's still a lot more to your story. So you said you
2: did the 50K training plan. This was during COVID, you know, shutdown, but you never actually ran. Sorry, not the 50K, the 50 mile training plan.
0: What happened? Yeah. So I was doing the training i did a a half marathon on a trail and that was an amazing experience then i got covid and my momentum and all the fitness that i built up just got pushed to a halt and that was in late july early august something like that and then when i recovered from that it was like yeah well i'm not gonna get the 50 miler this year and that's okay and so I wanted to have another goal, so I had a, um, a backpacking weekend that I was going to do, an, a long-distance backpacking weekend that I used to help me get back to my fitness. And I think having a lot of hiking and not as much running was really helpful in that recovery process. And then I started running again, and I ended up attempting a 50K. Okay.
1: Okay, well, maybe we can pause on this point about returning to running post covid because yeah a lot of us are finding ourselves in in this situation and I'm a coach and I a lot of my clients are are in this situation too and so I'm wondering if you had any outside help or guidance from coaches, medical professionals, or what have you, or if this was like kind of an internally driven thing, like you're very self-aware, you're a meditation teacher, yoga. And so a lot of the answers to this kind of a thing are are within, right? Like, when can I go back? And there's they're symptom driven, but how do we know what our symptoms are other than paying attention to them? And everybody's so different in their presentations, Right. Right exactly so so how did you go about returning to running post covid
0: yeah i mean it was for me it was a totally a, an internal thing i feel like it's so different as with any disease it's it's like you can call covid fruit there's Many different varieties, many different shapes. We all experience something completely different. And also, I I feel like now we're talking about the symptoms a lot more than at that time. I felt like it was more like, no, I just have to go through this alone. So I just got through it. And then I, I paid attention to my body. When I felt like I could actually walk a little bit, then I started just adding in some walking. And I really just listened to my body. I did not push myself. Like, I'm very, very in touch with my body, the way it feels, the way it functions. I know when something feels off. I know the difference between discomfort and pain. I know the difference between the sign of my body telling me that, no, this is okay. You can handle this. This is a good thing for you. And no, this is a a clear stop. You need to stop. And that's Mm -hmm. actually a training that I develop that discernment through meditation and through yoga. And I I think that those skills really helped me in easing into walking and then walking longer and then hiking and then running.
2: So just just to put this in perspective, again, everybody's different. Everybody has post-COVID symptoms that are different. Some have no post-COVID symptoms. Uh, Everybody has a different training age when it comes to running. But for you, what kind of timeline are we talking here? So you got COVID in July of 2021, Mm -hmm. right? How many days, weeks after you got it did you feel ready to start moving again?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a bit of a blur. (laughs) I'll say that. Mm -hmm. It seems like it was a gap in that year. But uh, I know that I had full-blown symptoms until day 10. Day 10, I started to feel good enough to start moving around the house anyway anyway. Um, Maybe over the next two weeks, I worked my way up to walking regularly, like walking longer. And then we did our hiking backpacking trip in October. So I I trained for the hiking and backpacking trip throughout the end of August and all through September. So I think by the end of August, I was able to hike again. Hiking didn't bother me as much. Running, I could just feel uh, just a little more winded. So I just Went slower and that was okay.
2: What were your biggest limiting
0: factors? Like what were your biggest lingering symptoms? The fatigue was so extreme. Just I remember when I was getting winded going up one step and then thinking like I just ran a half marathon and now one step is taking everything out of me. So it was the fatigue and then my lungs just felt like not their usual capacity. So those were the two things. I think the lungs, like when the fatigue came back first, and then my lungs got their capacity back slower. But I would feel my lungs first, I think, if I can remember correctly. And
2: I imagine mm-hmm. you probably have fairly good functioning lungs with all of the different breathing you probably do as well. <laughs> yes. <Indian. laughs>
0: yes. 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 Yeah. I do a lot of different breath work. And yeah. that's actually something that was also part of my recovery. And that was a way that I could feel how my lungs were, just doing my breathing practices. And when they started feeling normal, it was like, oh, okay, now I'm good. Ah, Mm -hmm. interesting.
2: Okay. Well, I like
1: this kind of symptom-driven, symptom-led kind of approach back for all the reasons that we've talked about. And it does sound like a reasonably typical thing, right? Like 10 days, two weeks, start getting back into it gently and then more aggressively as time goes on, was there anything about your return to run process that surprised you? Like, were there any, like, so that's all kind of the timeline seems fairly standard and, and maybe even a little bit predictable, but was there anything else that surprised you?
0: I mean, honestly, I think I was surprised at how I could bounce back so quickly. I think with how terrible I felt, it felt in that moment that I was done for the year. But then I did bounce back enough to be able to hike a long distance and then run a race and that fall. So it was like, wow, this is, this is pretty cool. It, it kind of all felt meant to be in, in a way.
1: Okay. So for any of you type A runners that are listening, <laughs> rewind, go back, listen to what Rebecca just said. I mean, I think the big fear that everybody has is, oh my gosh, I'm losing so much fitness right, right. And, and that can happen in as little as a couple of days and certainly within a couple of weeks if a runner is really used to running on a regular basis we feel like we are getting unfit we're getting fat we're getting like all this stuff and mm-hmm. and what you're saying is like no no like sometimes that break is just like a forced rest and recovery and the body is incredibly adaptable and will bounce back if we sort of honor that phase, right? That RR yeah. kind of phase.
0: So true. And and I actually I think through diving into the world of of trail running through my friend Nicole, she's taught me that that like don't be afraid if you get an injury. You're probably gonna get an injury if you're a runner. It's going to happen. So you what you do is you go and rest it and you'll get your fitness fitness back. Like it mm-hmm. it will. It'll mm-hmm. come back.
2: Yeah. Yeah, you know, like you just said, Carolyn. I think we have to emphasize here that Rebecca's not a medical professional. She's not telling everybody how they should return to running post COVID. This is simply her experience, and she had success with with just listening to her body and having ultra patience in the beginning, um, not rushing the process. Similar to how you know we we should treat our bodies if we're verging on overtraining, or we've had a hard training block, continuing to push hard is only going to put you further in the hole. It's not going to help you move forward. And so, um, you, you kind of took what your body gave on said day <laughs> and went with that. And, um, yeah, I think that was really wise and it, it paid off for you from the sounds of it. All right. So you just talked about how you 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 made it through COVID and you returned to hiking, and then eventually you did return to running. I want to just take a little bit of a curve and and circle back to you know your your profession, which is your mindfulness meditation yoga practitioner. Let's talk about the similarities and the differences between running and meditation. So. Mm-hmm we we often say as runners running is my meditation right and right. i know we've chatted before this podcast i know you have some thoughts and comments about when people say running is my meditation how might that ring true to you but how could you also see that you know maybe we need to look at it in a slightly different light
0: yeah so i think it's really interesting because for me living in a world of I know a lot of meditators and yogis and then I also now know a lot of runners and and trail runners. And it seems almost like when immersed in in each they they don't see that like a lot of my yogi and meditation friends I say running they're like, "Oh, oh good luck with that." Or I go and do my yoga stretches with my runners and they look at me and they go, "Ooh, good luck with that." And it's so interesting to me because I see how they're both so related. And so with meditation, I feel like runners could meditate probably – could probably overcome a lot of the obstacles that beginner meditators face probably a lot easier just because you actually are training in a very similar way. And I just see a lot of similarities between the two. So when you say something like running is my meditation, there is some truth to that. Absolutely. But there's still – is a difference. There's a difference in that meditation, seated meditation, while you're not running, the basic most uh, scientific way to see meditation is that it releases stress. Every single day, we are accumulating stress just from all the little things that we're doing. We don't even realize that it's stress because it doesn't necessarily feel stressful all of the time. But we are accumulating stress every single day. And so your meditation practice is the process of releasing that stress, of decluttering the mind and the body. And so where the stress lives is in the tissues of the body. And so the difference when you're, when you're running is you're not going into the relaxation response. Your body is not relaxing when you're running. Your body is staying in an energetic state. When you're sitting and meditating, your body is going into a relaxation response, which is so crucial and so healing for the tissues to restore, for the mind to release stress, for the body to recover. So I see it as it's immensely powerful to have both, Mm -hmm. to run in a mindful way, to enjoy your running more, to get more out of your experience, to also improve peak performance But then it's also so powerful to think of meditation as another form of your training, Mm -hmm. of your recovery. You have your strength training. You also have your relaxed training through your meditation. Teaching your muscles to be able to relax will allow them to be able to get stronger when they're active as well. Yeah.
1: And I think maybe what we're dealing with here is confusion as far as like defining the terms, Mm -hmm. right? I think sometimes people think maybe what they mean when they say running's my meditation is that I'm being mindful when I'm running, or it helps me get into my body more. But what you're saying is that there is a distinction between meditation and mindfulness. Is that, am I hearing you correctly?
0: So no, mindfulness is one branch of meditation. So you can be mindful in your daily life, which means you're being present. So what we're really saying when you're being mindful and you're running is that you're running in the present moment. And that means that your mind isn't thinking about the future, about your coming appointments. Your mind isn't thinking about the past. You're just immersed in the moment. And when we're deeply in the present moment, you can get into that flow state, Mm -hmm. which is probably that meditative experience that you're feeling when you're running, where you're just in the flow and it's a magical place to be. And it's a healing place to be. And it's a beautiful place for the mind to be. But there still is a distinction between seated Mindfulness practice, like you can use a mindfulness practice while seated and receive different benefits than you would running and mindful.
2: Well, I love what you have said to me previously that I'm just going to, I'm probably going to butcher it, but runners would say running is my meditation, but yoga practitioners would never say meditation is my running right? <laughs> like, like there, there, there can be an element of meditative experience in running, but when practiced independently in a focused way, it's very different.
0: Yes, yes, I love to think of it that way because if I I could sit in my meditation and just envision running and envision <laughs> feeling connected to nature and feeling connected to my body, but you would say like, okay, that's cool, not but enough. you're still not getting the benefits yeah, that we yeah. are. <laughs>
2: you have to do more. You can't. Yeah. Right. You have to actually run, and then right. runners actually have to meditate.
1: Okay, so if somebody's listening to this and thinking like, I'm a runner, I'm fine, like everything's working for me, like why would I need to add meditation to my program? I already have strength and I got to eat and I got to sleep. And, and this is just one more thing. Convince me that meditation is uh, beneficial and, and
0: worthwhile of my time. Yes. So good. So if you think about what I just mentioned about the stress that we accumulate, we accumulate stress within the fascia, the connective tissues that wrap around every muscle, every muscle fiber, every tendon, every bone, every part of our body that is affected when we're running. And what is the greatest thing that we don't want to experience in our running training? Injury. Mm -hmm. So in the most basic of ways, meditation is a powerful way to help prevent injury, help deepen your recovery. Um, and help also increase your capacity to have a stronger um, strength and uh, endurance as well. Because by taking stress off of the body, you're allowing the body to heal faster. You're allowing the body to just do what it wants to do. It's like if you have a cut on your skin, you just let your body do what it's supposed to do, but you provide the most optimal environment by cleaning out the wound, putting a Band-Aid on, giving it whatever care it needs to just let your body do what it wants to do. So your body wants to run and it wants to recover. And so this is a a tremendous way to release the stress. So that's in a physical aspect. It's improve your recovery, improve your strength, prevent injury, but more so than that in a mental piece. I mean, running is so mental. There's so many mental battles that we, we have to experience and, Having the practice in a meditation practice, a very short meditation, it doesn't have to be anything crazy, but having some practice in a meditation practice, in a seated practice, can bring you immense tools to use in the heat of the moment of a race or a long run. Okay, so... I have
2: to ask the question. Tell us what these tools are. <laughs> what, uh, like, can you define them? Can you give us like some specifics as to
0: what tools a runner can use to support their running? Yes, for sure. So there's just a few things to think about that I love to use while I'm running. Is being present. So just. Being here now, the moment your mind starts thinking about the next mile, the moment your mind starts thinking, I've gone this far and it hurts this much. How am I going to keep going? Be here now. I love to use the five senses. So tuning into the sounds around me, tuning into the colors, the textures looking around me, feel the earth under your feet, listen to the sound of your feet hitting the ground tune into the aromas like go through my five senses and that'll help bring you into the present moment. Another tool that I love to use is that there's always 50/50. At any moment, there's always struggle, there's always win, there's negative and there's positive always happening right now. We tend to think that at the end of our goal is going to be, you know, where all the glory is, but really there's so many things that are good and challenging in this moment always. So in the darkest of moments, I remember that, that, okay, here is all this struggle, but there's also something beautiful about this moment too. I just need to see it. That's another thing. But the third thing is to not run away from discomfort. And that's a big thing that meditation teaches is – that when you feel a uncomfortable sensation in your body, to use it as a tool mm-hmm. to observe. So rather than being like, oh, that, that hurts. Let me try and think of something else. Be, oh, that's a sensation. Let me observe it. Let me mm-hmm. breathe into it. Let me feel it. Yeah. Let me even let it expand a little bit. Mm-hmm. I like to see everything as energy that, okay, what's the energy of this discomfort? Or okay, what's the energy of this fatigue or this strength coursing through my body? I like to imagine – I'm a very visual person, so if anyone is visual that's listening, I like to almost imagine that the strength in my body is like one color that I can visualize and feel. And the, the last piece that I'll offer while running is to relax into the energy and let the energy run for you. And this is a really simple yet somewhat complex thing to, to wrap your head around. But when you're really tense and you're muscling through, I remind myself, okay, relax into it and let the energy do the running for me for a moment. And it almost feels like I'm just sitting in my body and my body's just going. And it it really does give your mind a chance to relax, but it also softens all of the resistance. Because that's what we're really doing with meditation. We're releasing resistance. Mm -hmm. And you know that if you are in the midst of a dark moment of running, there's going to be pain in many different ways. What makes it worse is resisting that pain. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like
1: this shouldn't be happening. Oh no, this means that I'm going to have to drop out of the race and like all this again, back to the story behind what is right. Like, the thing that's happening is I'm experiencing some discomfort. But then when you layer on, oh, my gosh, it means this like doom and gloom, worst case scenario thing, you're saying that that just piles more onto the, the stress side <laughs> of the situation and makes it harder to recover from. Yes. So, <clears throat> so like when you're are you saying that when you're sitting in your meditation, right, because because we want to also do the sitting part of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and because that's, that's uncomfortable for people. Let's face it. Like so many people, how many people do you know that have started a meditation practice and then they give up after three days because it's hard and it's not hard because it's hard, like running a 50 mile race or anything like that. It's hard because your mind just goes absolutely bonkers when you sit and do nothing. Right. It's like, anything like now is when I want to clean my fridge and now is when I want to make this big giant list. And so part of learning what happens to your mind and not resisting it and not fighting it and just letting it come and letting it go can then translate to like a physical discomfort that you may feel when you're running. Like, is there a a link there? Like talk to us about sort of that leap from what happens on the the mat, so to speak, in your seated meditation to what we may see as a benefit in our running?
0: Sure. Yeah. So that is an excellent question. And I want to just expand on it just a moment to help further understand it. There is a mes- misconception about meditation that we believe that meditation is this really relaxing, peaceful thing, because that's what you hear about. But really, the relaxing peacefulness is what comes after. A lot of meditations are quite uncomfortable, and it's supposed to be that way. Ah, because what happens is, as soon as you start to meditate, your body starts to release stress. And when it releases stress, it stimulates your nervous system, which then makes you think. So, when you, as soon as you start to meditate and you start thinking, That doesn't mean you did it wrong. That means you just released stress and you meditated correctly. And so the way to move forward is to bring your attention back. Just keep following the simple instructions. When I hear people tell me that they tried to meditate, but every time they sat down, they started thinking so they can't do it. I would say, okay, well, that's like me telling you that, oh, I tried lifting weights, but every time I did, my muscles burned, so I can't do it. Like it is the point. Ah. It is releasing the stress and it's also also the moment that you're lost in thought or you're lost in whatever it is, whatever distraction, stress release can come in emotion or thoughts or sensation. And when you're lost in that and you notice it and you bring your attention back to the breath or whatever it is that you're meditating on, that's also like developing strength And that's developing the training, which that is the piece that you can harness in your running, that when you're fixated on a pain in your body and you can't stop thinking about it, you've already developed the skill to be able to move your mind away from something uncomfortable and bring it to the present moment or go into it and not resist it. You know, there's different ways to move through that. You know, as
2: you're, as you're talking here, I can't help but think, especially since you live on, along the, um, the Appalachian Trail, Scott Jurek in his book North, he talks about how he, you know, at that time set the FKT for the entire Appalachian Trail in a, in a south to northbound distance. And he talks about exactly that, not resisting the pain, not pushing it away, but using it to make him bigger, he, hmm. he used that energy to propel him along and seemingly possible, impossible task. And as, as you talk about some of these techniques and stuff, it also reminds me, I'm just kind of like <laughs> just brainstorming here as you're talking about, you know, I think a lot of runners have experienced some of these actions or states that you're speaking to here. I know I have, but I didn't know how to define it. I didn't know what it was, right? Mm. Like we've often been in those situations where we were able to achieve flow state or we were able to absorb the pain and use it to propel us but we didn't realize what we were doing um, enough to replicate it later, right? (laughs) So what you're doing is helping us to define those tools. Like this is actually a thing. This wasn't just a one-off coincidence that this happened. This is actually a thing you can learn to repeat um, in multiple runs and even multiple times during a given run. So, yeah, I think it's really fascinating.
0: Well, and it's so key what you just said there that, these these meditative experiences are experiential but when you are conscious of it then it can become a part of you mm-hmm. so if you're listening to this and you can resonate with some of these experiences then knowing that it is knowing what you're doing consciously will then become a part of you and then it can become a tool that you can access and even refine
1: so i've heard you mention the word curious a few times on this podcast already, where do you see curiosity fitting into the picture? And maybe talk about too, like how that might relate to maybe being an entry point for somebody looking to take up meditation.
0: Mm, Curiosity is I think my favorite. It's so good. Curiosity is the, in my opinion, the antidote to judgment. And it also is like a bridge to looking at something that you might not want to, so even even using curiosity when you're um, in a challenging moment in your workout to get curious about what it really feels like. So often we assume we know what pain feels like. We just label it. Oh yeah, I felt that. That's my bad. My bad right hip. Yep, that's what that is. I'm not going to look at it. So we just assume that it's going to feel the same way. But then when you get curious, like, well, what does it really feel like today in this moment? Then that allows you to release the resistance away from it curiosity allows you to observe something as well and so what i would recommend right away is to become curious about your experience in a meditation itself like if you're feeling uh, especially for runners i i find at least my running friends the idea of meditating and sitting still sounds horrible it's like i can't i can't sit still i'd be moving the entire time i'd be antsy i'd be fidgety i'd be agitated And so using curiosity to observe that, and this is a a beautiful tool to use even to help you fall asleep. If you're feeling antsy or fidgety, use curiosity to observe it rather than trying to stop it because if you've ever had an itch that you couldn't scratch, it gets so much worse, right? Same thing that if you're feeling antsy, if you try and stop yourself from feeling antsy, then that's just going to make it worse. So instead – Get curious about what it is that comes up for you. Just sit in a meditation. I'm going to guide you through one in a little bit, but just get curious about whatever's there and let the curiosity allow yourself to feel whatever it is that's there rather than, okay, it should look like this. It should look like that. It should – like, no, there's nothing like that. You're just going to release stress from your body, and that may mean different things. Okay. So – I vote that we don't wait for a little bit. I
2: vote <laughs> that you lead us in a little running meditation right now. Do you think that would work? Could we do that on the show? I think so. Okay. <laughs> so how do you envision this, Rebecca? Is this something a runner c- could do during running? Is this some is this some meditation, like you're going to show us something that they should do sitting down or both?
0: Yeah. So I'm going to guide you through something seated. However, you can also apply it to running. So if anyone's listening to this and you're actually running, see what it's like to just try it on that way. And that could be a great way to use curiosity, to just try it on. You're just trying on a coat. Like, let's just see what this is like <laughs> and uh, and see see what it's like while you're moving. And then I really encourage you to just become curious and see what it's like to do it seated as well.
1: Okay. I'm going to put on my meditation coat. <laughs> <working
0: out. laughs> do it. <laughs> so in order to do this, just sit wherever you are comfortably. If you're sitting in a chair, you can just slide up against the back of the chair and place your feet flat on the, wall- on the floor. You can place your hands comfortably in your lap. And I'm basically just going to guide you through paying attention to different things. I'm gonna guide you through your senses, I'm gonna guide you through just feeling your body, and then feeling your breath. And it's gonna be very short. And don't worry about any thoughts. When thoughts arise, that's a good thing. That means you just release some stress, acknowledge that, and then come back to my voice. So wherever you are. Feel free to close your eyes or just allow your eyelids to get heavy and take a full deep breath in through the nose. Exhale out of the mouth like you're letting go of a sigh. Let's do that once more together. Breathe in deeply through the nose. Exhale, let it all go and allow your shoulders to release down towards the ground. Feel the weight of your body sink into the chair. Close your lips. Breathe normally. And become aware of the sounds around you. Rather than deciphering
3: what they are or deciding if you like them or not, just float from one sound to another.
4: Bring your attention to closer sounds, sounds just around you. become aware of the sound of your own body, the sound of your breath.
3: Become aware of the feeling of the chair underneath your body, the feeling underneath your thighs,
0: the point of contact, under your hips, behind your
4: spine.
3: Now flood your whole body with awareness. Become aware of your whole body together. As if you could feel the outline of it, the energy of it. Just allow it to feel however it's feeling. If you're moving, observe how it feels to move. If you're still, observe that. Now let's curiously zero in on different areas of the body. Bring your focus to your feet and just feel your feet. And as you do, feel the muscles of your feet relaxing, softening.
4: Become aware of your lower legs, your calves, and your shins. Become aware of your thighs.
3: Feel your hips, your pelvis, your lower back. Just observe pure sensation. You may notice something, you may notice nothing. Become aware of your spine. Feel the four walls of your abdomen the front wall, the side walls, the back wall.
4: Become aware of your ribcage moving with your breath. Observe the feeling of your arms, your hands, your shoulders. Observe the feeling of your neck and your head.
3: Now expand your awareness to feel your whole body together, just allowing whatever sensation is there to be there, curiously exploring it. Finally, rest your attention on the movement of your breath. Just watch the rise and the fall. If you feel the need to move your body, that's okay. Let yourself move and then come back to feeling your breath. If your mind wanders, notice that and come back to the feeling of the breath for another moment or two.
0: Gently, gently allow your focus to release. And feel free to move your body any area that got a little stiff. Wiggle the fingers, the toes, and blink the eyes open if they are closed. And as you blink your eyes open, just look around you and notice the colors, the textures, the light and the shadows. Staying in a little bit of presence, taking in your surroundings. And thank you for playing along and getting curious. I'd I'd love and I think it would be really valuable just to hear from you both if you're willing to share any experiences, any struggles, any things that surprised you. I think that would be really helpful.
1: Well, I will offer up this, and this is actually not the first time I've had this happen while I've been in a meditation, but I am a very, very cold person generally. Like my hands and feet are always cold. And when I, today, when I just did this meditation with you, I got very warm Mm -hmm. and it's so striking to me how quickly, because how long was I? Like five minutes or something like that? Not even. Mm-hmm. I don't know if if maybe you have a physiological explanation or if you've ever uh, had that feedback before from from other people, but I I have to think that there's something about the relaxation that allows the blood vessels to dilate and mm-hmm. uh, the blood to flow a little bit easier. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Have you heard that feedback before?
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, it I mean, it depends on the person. Some some people will get cooler with relaxation, but especially with just five minutes, it would be more likely that you would warm up a little bit and then over time you might get cold. But yeah, through for you, that's a sign that you just entered into some relaxation. And I think that's a really good point to make that we didn't even meditate for five minutes and you yeah. were able to bring your body into a relaxation. Like a and that is the point, state,
2: right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, like you said, even five minutes. What I observed was more not observed, but what it was interesting to me, I've I haven't done a lot of meditating, I admit. I do a lot of breath work, but it's like like cross-stitching. It's like there's a formula that you follow where it's like in, hold, out. But true meditation, I haven't done a lot of it, but I usually hear what you did, like focus on one part of your body and relax it, and then the next part of your body and relax it. What I've never done before. Is focus on feeling all of my body at the same time. Yeah, and I loved mm-hmm. how you use the visual of the outline of your body and the energy. Yeah. That's I was like, wow, how can I actually feel all of my body at the same time? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was wild. I was like, oh,
0: this is new. So thank you for that. And that is a a beautiful thing to do while running as well. Like yes. that would be like a fun thing that. to try.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Okay. Well, that was really interesting. So thank you for that. And anybody listening, make sure you bookmark, you know, maybe we'll put it in the show notes where this meditation was in the recording so that you can go back and listen to it again in different ways, um, in different states. Um, Maybe (laughs) experiment how you feel doing it when you're relaxed versus when you're stressed out before a run versus after a run. Um, yes. and see how your running might change or your feelings might change. So let's just, you know, as we start to wrap up the podcast, um, take us back a little bit to your own running journey. So, you know, what does running mean to you at this point in your life and how has running potentially helped you discover, you know, maybe more about your own self?
0: Yeah, oh my gosh, running has been a beautiful new tool for me to get curious about myself and my life and I feel like every long run I discover something new about the world. It teaches me that we are so capable of so much more than we ever dare to dream. And that's just my experience. I if I could go back to my high school self who was sitting frustrated with shin splints and embarrassed telling her that one day she would run a 40K, she would be like, what? (laughs) So it's just, I feel so inspired in other areas of my life in that way as well, just that, wait a second, if I could do that, what else can I do? And how else can I push myself? And what else might be possible for me that I never even thought of and I never dared to imagine?
1: Yeah, so much yes to that. Um, Just kind of on on the topic of... What have you discovered about yourself? So that's through running. What's maybe the biggest thing that you've discovered about yourself through meditation? Mm, Good question.
0: Ooh, I don't know if anyone's ever asked me that. I love this. (laughs) Well, there's a quote by Pema Chodron. Meditation practice isn't about trying to throw ourselves away and become something better. It's about befriending who we are already. Mm. And meditation was that for me. It was I was very much not my own friend at all. I would beat myself up towards my goals and do the opposite, very disconnected. And so meditation was the thing that taught me that I don't need to throw myself away and become something better. And rather, everything we're capable of exists inside. It's not out there. It's just a matter of befriending ourselves and turning inward.
1: Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm really hearing, um, like, does the word acceptance ring Mm -hmm. true for you? Like back to that resistance, like we're always fighting and fighting and that actually makes a lot of things worse. Right. But when we fight against ourselves, and, Oh, I wish I was more like this and less like that. And, um, is that a form of resistance too? and really meditate through meditation, you learn like to accept that. No, this is who I am, and embrace that part of you, and then that resistance can fall away.
0: One hundred percent. Yeah, it's through accepting, and then acceptance allows us to allow ourselves to be who we are and as we are, and can lead to compassion. And then through that, we can release the things that we thought we were that we really aren't, and probably we're just a product of our stress, and we are yeah. so much, so much more underneath. You know, I'm hearing
2: all these words about acceptance and release. And then I'm hearing, I heard you say something about, I want to discover what I can push myself to do. And I'm not criticizing that phrase, but I like, and I think you're saying this, I've really started to try to think about energy as either pushing energy or pulling energy. Pushing energy never gets you as far. If you're pulled towards something, the the amount of energy needed to accomplish that goal is significantly less. And so, you know, if we can, rather than push ourselves to achieve greatness, if we can release ourselves to achieve greatness, like you just said, mm. it's in you. If you can just open it up and let it out and be pulled towards that, mm. um, it's exponentially different, I think. And that's what I visualize anyways, is being pulled toward things rather than pushing myself towards them.
0: Yes. I love that. I love that so mm. much. And it's interesting because when you discern that, it it makes brings some clarity to me as well that I think when I say push myself, it there is a pulling, and it's a pulling through discomfort.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Because I think before, discomfort can feel like a roadblock, that like, oh, this is too hard. But actually when it's, a, when it's a pulling, you can move through that roadblock rather than mm-hmm. be stopped by it.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, we we got a little taste of that five minute taste of of your voice and your style in terms of of meditation. But I know that there's lots of excellent resources over on your own podcast called Deep Rooted Bliss. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about your podcast, what you love about podcasting, where we can all find it, and um, just some of some of what you've got going
0: on over there. Sure. Yeah. I I love podcasting. Podcasting has become just another vessel for me to pour what I learn into. Really, I'm a person who loves to learn. I'm an eternal student, and running is a tool that I can learn. Meditation is a tool I can learn, and I share stories, learnings, teachings, tips, tools, meditations, all the things on my podcast. Basically, if I learn something on a long run, I will share it on my podcast as well. Well, I think that's something that
2: every runner should add to their playlist. If um, if there's anything I listen to while running, it's podcasts. And Me too. Audits. And uh, yeah, queue cue up some of Rebecca's podcasts there, and I'm sure we can all learn a lot of cool um tips and tricks on uh, how mindfulness and those tools can inspire and enhance your running. So, wow, this has been an amazing conversation. I think this is one I'm going to go back and listen to a few times because you dropped so many awesome nuggets and truth bombs in this one. So thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been awesome.
0: Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. I, I just loved it. So if runners,
2: want, or any listener, <laughs> runner or not, um, wanted to connect with you more, um, where can we find you?
0: you? can find me on Instagram at Rebecca Doring Meditation. You can find my podcast, the Deep Rooted Bliss Podcast. And I also have a, if you want a longer uh, meditation, you can go to www.deeprootedbliss.com forward slash meditate. And there, there's a a little bit of a longer guided practice for free. So you can go ahead and find it there. Well, good luck with the rest of your running this summer and um, happy trails. Thank you so much.